uh, I want to introduce the Lord's Supper this morning. We're not going to, uh, I'm going to briefly do it, I promise. I do know what that word means, uh, briefly. Um, we're going to briefly look at the Lord's Supper and what it means to us. Uh, that's the focus of, of our, our service this morning. Uh, the focus of our service is always Jesus, but this morning uh, we want to focus particularly on his sacrifice, and that's what the Lord's Supper does for us. It, it intensifies our focus. It narrows our focus down to that, and uh, Donald picked music that wonderfully uh, assisted and encouraged that focus, and I want to continue in that theme this morning. 1 Corinthians 11 17 through 26 says, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We're going to look at four things, four items, four uh, encouragements, I believe, as, uh, about the Lord's Supper here that we can glean from this passage. The first thing that we see is that the Lord's Supper is to emphasize love and service in the called out people. Remember, that's been our focus since my first Sunday here, is the called out people. What does that look like? Well, as a matter of fact, my, my timing was a little off, but preaching on the Lord's Supper and, and, and actually baptism as well was supposed to be next week's message. And this week was going to be something else. But because Lord's Supper was this week, I had to invert them. But this was actually in uh, my series already because this is an act of the called out people. This is what the called out people are supposed to be doing, emphasizing love and service through the Lord's Supper uh, in this called out people. We see it in verses 17 through 22 uh, that we just read. Now, we, we kind of see it uh, in a mirror, uh, or we see it by what the church in Corinth was not doing. Paul reprimands them for not taking the Lord's Supper in, uh, in, in a way that emphasizes love and service. Instead, they were doing it very selfishly. So by his reprimand, we see, we, we take that reprimand, we reverse it, and we see what the people were supposed to be doing in the Lord's Supper. They were supposed to be emulating Jesus' love 
for the disciples that he showed at the Last Supper, that night before he was betrayed, what he was doing, what he was showing them, the, the, the emphasis that Jesus had. He tells them, I have longed to have this meal with you. This, this has been on my heart. If you read John, uh, the, and, and I'll, I'll talk about that briefly here in a few minutes, but you read uh, the, the three or so chapters in John leading up to the, uh, the actual Lord's Supper, you hear Jesus pouring out his heart. Uh, you hear him praying for the disciples. You, you, you get this impression, this feeling, Jesus knows this is my last time to really be able to sit down and talk to these people, talk to these men, uh, disciple them for, for any period of time. This is it. This is the last time. Crucifixion, burial, resurrection, 40 days of showing himself to people, then the ascension, those times aren't going to lend themselves based on the record that we have to any intense discipleship. Jesus was wanting to show them the, the love that, and, and service that he has called them to in this time. And that's what our Lord's Supper is supposed to emulate as well. Uh, John 13 through 7, there, there's my reference uh, that, that you can look at if you want to go back and read what Jesus was feeling leading up to this. See, this is one of the reasons that the Lord's Supper is served and not taken. A lot of churches do it a lot of different ways, and we're going to do it a lot of different ways, because we, I want to make sure that the Lord's Supper, Supper is always emphasized when we take it. But one of the reasons that it is always handed to you is because it exemplifies that service. It's a part of being served, the church serving each other. I'll go ahead and give you a little heads up. In January, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, I believe, completely different from any way you've ever had it before. At 10.30, instead of meeting in here, we're going to go meet in the gym. The deacons will have cooked breakfast for you. We're going to have brunch in the gym at 10.30. We'll have it on the screens and, and greeters out here directing people that direction so everybody knows we're going to gather, we're going to have a meal together, and toward the end of that meal, we are going to take the Lord's Supper each at our table, whoever we're sitting with, family, friends, there'll be a deacon there to, to assist and to serve, but we're going to take it the way the New Testament church took it, just so you can, it's emphasized, just so we can see it in a different way so we can see that it is a time of fellowship, of love, and of service to, uh, to each other. The Lord's Supper, remember, is representative of an act done for others. What Jesus did on the cross was done for others. It was done for God's glory, absolutely, but it was done for the people of earth, most definitely, to save them. His body, he says, my body, as he takes, does the, breaks the bread, my body broken for you as he shares the cup blood shed for many an act done for other people and this is an ordinance something that was ordered by jesus of uh the called out or for the called out community to share in this is an act that we come together as a church to take part in because we are of that community that called out community of faith. So we, we do this as, a, as an example to emphasize love and the service that Jesus did. The second reason we do this, or the second uh, explanation of what the Lord's Supper is, it is a celebration of the grace, 
manifested in Jesus' sacrifice. It's a celebration of the grace that Jesus showed. We see that not as much in the Corinthians passage. It's not as clearly stated as it is in the Luke uh, passage of uh, the account of the Lord's Supper. Luke says, and it should be on the screen, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, in Luke 22, 19 through 20, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given to you. That grace? Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established in my blood. It is shed for you. There's that grace, that broken body, that shed blood. Grace that is given and not earned. We see maybe most clearly how we receive grace given to us and not earned in Jesus' approach to the cross. No one forced Jesus to die. He said that. You know, nobody's making me do this. I'm doing this because it's the will of the Father. The, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. God killed Jesus. It was his son being sacrificed by God's will. Now, the Romans had a part in it, and they were culpable. The Jews had a part in it, they were culpable. You and I had a part in it because of our sinfulness, and we are culpable. But Jesus was not forced to that cross. Jesus went willingly by grace to that cross. And he's telling them here in this, in this passage in Luke, as he explains the grace, that this is a new covenant. A new covenant, not a new covenant of grace, because grace was throughout the Old Testament, but a covenant of grace in a way that they had not understood before and had not experienced before, but it was a way that it had been promised before. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, talking to the people as they are exiled in Babylon, waiting for some sort of deliverance, looking now for their Messiah more than they probably ever had because they are away from home, they are not where they're supposed to be, they feel abandoned, they feel betrayed even, and they are hoping for this Messiah, Jeremiah tells them, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I married them, I had married them, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. Grace. And so when we come to the Lord's table and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating that grace that Jesus manifested, that, that one sacrifice that Jeremiah talks about here. He doesn't get into it as much. Hebrews later on really explains it best. But the sacrificial system ended because the perfect sacrifice came with this new covenant. And we celebrate that sacrifice. Jeremiah says that, no longer will you have to teach your brother this or that because you all know me. Why? Because we will be Holy Spirit marked. The Lord's Supper celebrates that. That is grace. The Holy Spirit teaching 
and leading and guiding. And this had been God's eternal plan. Jesus comes to the table that night in the upper room, and he's not surprised. He's not excited about what he's about to go through, but he's not surprised. This had been God's plan for him all along. Jesus knew that was the reason he was here. And on this night, he put it in the hearts of his people, the hearts of his disciples. Remember this. Remember this night. Remember this time. But more importantly, remember my sacrifice. But we have to remember that this event, though it was solemn on that night, though the disciples were confused, Judas has, has left and they don't understand what he means by going and, and doing what you have to do. Though Jesus keeps talking about death and, and they've seen nothing but a, a week of celebration and, and him being ushered into the city on, on Sunday uh, with people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is solemn. Jesus is anxious. And I don't mean worried. I mean, he wants to get this. It's almost like if he could drill a hole in their heads and pour this stuff in in John 13 through 17, he would. And the disciples are, why? Why all this talk of death? The Passover is a wonderful thing. We are, we are celebrating a great event. And that is exactly right. Today, now, looking back on that Lord's Supper, that last supper, it is a celebration. So we come with all the solemnity and, and, and reverence that, that we should have when we worship the Lord, but we come to this table not mopey and down and sad. We are celebrating a wonderful thing because without this, we have no salvation. This morning, we don't come celebrate or, or, or entering in as if to a funeral, Jesus' last day. We come to it celebrating our first day of eternity because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. This event is a celebration for us and not a funeral. We celebrate the grace. Third thing, the Lord's Supper looks forward in hope. And we see this in verse 26 of chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread, or Paul recounts, rather, Jesus saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look forward knowing, though the disciples misunderstood it or just didn't get it or denied it as Peter did, no, Lord, you will never go to the, you'll never die. For, you, know, you're, you will not present yourself as a sacrifice. And Jesus has to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan, because that is not God's will. And he still didn't understand it was coming. Though they misunderstood, they knew, they were told he would die and then rise. Jesus knew what the next day had in store for him. But he also knew what eternity had in store for his people that trusted and believed in him. Therefore, it was a day of hope. A day of looking forward to what was coming. So we celebrate the death and, direct, and, and, and resurrection, but we hope in the promise of his return. If you're not aware, the, the language that Jesus, is, Jesus uses at the Lord's Supper is the language of an engagement, of a marriage. There, there were certain words that, that were straight out of the Passover liturgy, and the disciples would have understood it. But then there were some things that Jesus threw in there that they weren't used to. 
And it would have sounded very much like Jesus was asking them to marry him. And that would have thrown them for just a second. And maybe for a few days, maybe for a few weeks. But that's the language he used. Why? Because we know that we are married to Christ. That is over and over and over again the terminology that's used. All the way back through the Old Testament. God talks about, even talked about in Jer Jeremiah, used the phrase, I married you. And you went out, and he uses this language in Hosea and a number of other prophets, you went out and played the harlot. You went out and whored yourself to other gods, even though you were married to me. And we see Jesus again coming back with the new covenant, the new, the, the better way, and saying, marry me, marry your life to me. No longer are you, own, you're, you, are you your own. You are now bought with a price. You are mine. And if the marriage is what we're talking, a marriage is what we're talking about, then we know again and again and again, Jesus said, the groom will come back for his bride. He's left his bride here on earth for a little while. His bride has a job to do. His, his bride has the job of telling people all about the groom. Come join the family. Come be a part of what Jesus has done. Join the kingdom. Be one of his subjects. Be a part of his bride. But it will not last forever. Jesus is coming back. And we look forward today as we celebrate we look forward in hope, knowing that he has not left us here for good. He has not abandoned us, abandoned us at all. But we will not be here forever. But as we look forward in hope, people, we need to understand Jesus is coming back. So the days are numbered. The opportunities are numbered to tell people about him. The days are numbered when you listening today, will have an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe it's because Jesus comes back in the next few days, few weeks, hopefully November 3rd, or 5th, or whatever day before, 7th. Okay, I don't even know what day the election is. Hopefully it's the day before. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, hopefully it's that, but it might not be. But if it is, Will you be ready? Maybe, maybe he comes back November 7th, but you don't make it that far. November 5th is your last day. Will you be ready? See, we, our days are numbered. We don't have time to wait. The groom is coming back. So we need then to understand the fourth point this morning, that the Lord's Supper is meaningless without faith in the Lord of his supper the fact without faith in the lord of the lord's supper verses 27 through 29 of first corinthians 11 tells us therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the lord so a man should examine himself in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, this is a question I didn't ask anybody before this morning. So if this is a policy of the church that I'm unaware of, then I apologize in advance. But my belief, my understanding of Scripture is, this morning, if you are a blood-bought, 
believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, then you can take the Lord's Supper with us this morning. That's, that's regardless of where your church membership lies. Now, I know some churches, if you're not a member of this congregation, you can't take it. It's called closed communion. You, we would say, please don't take the Lord's Supper. That's not how I function, and, and y'all can tell me after church, don't tell me now, if that's not the way we do it. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue hard that that is the way we're going to do it. So if you're a believer, we, you can take this with us, join with us, because you are part of the com- called-out community of Christ. But if you are not a believer, this supper is not for you. This, this celebration is for believers. This remembrance is for believers. Because right now, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, you have nothing to remember. You have nothing to celebrate. I, mean, I, I, would, I would say, well, yeah, you have something to celebrate. Jesus still died for you. That's true. But you have not experienced his death and resurrection. You have not claimed it for your own. You have not... Uh, incorporated that into your life you have not brought that into who you are therefore this supper is for believers this is a but but don't miss the picture if you've not trusted christ unbeliever don't miss the imagery here because this is a picture of what jesus did for you when he died on the cross that's the beauty of the lord's supper while it is a celebration for those of us who believe It is an example, it is a testimony, it is a sermon, it is an evangelistic outreach for those who have not. Because you get to see clearly what Jesus did for you. It is a call to respond to his gift, to take, to eat, to drink from the salvation that Jesus offers. These crackers were made in some factory somewhere. The the juice in the cup I'm going to assume it's Welch's. I mean, that's the best grape juice. So I'm just going to say it's Welch's. It might be like Sam's Choice. I don't know. But it doesn't matter because there is really no power in the flour and the water and the grape juice. The power is in the man, the God, the, the second person of the Trinity who this represents. So you take this, It doesn't do anything for you. You're not saved because you eat a cracker and drink some juice. You don't receive anything special from God because you take a cracker and eat some juice. And I'm just going to go out on, since I'm already on this limb, I'll go further out and say it. When that gets inside your belly, it doesn't turn anything into anything but a few little calories that might help you get through your nap today. It doesn't turn into anything else. But what it represents, What it symbolizes is the most wonderful thing that has ever been, and that is the body of my Lord broken for me. That's what we do this morning. So this is an opportunity for you, unbeliever, to see it and to be able to know the salvation this morning. And we're going to actually have the invitation this morning before we have the Lord's Supper. So this morning, if you give your heart to Jesus, you're a part of the community, folks, and we will celebrate that and we will welcome you with open brother and sister arms to this table but if you have not trusted christ as your savior then this is not for you but christian i'm not done with you yet either because this is an opportunity and a command for his called out people to examine themselves he's writing this to the church paul is and telling the church church y'all are doing this wrong y'all are coming to the table 
unworthily. Well, how do we do that? Well, we, we give it at the altar before we come to the table. We turn to Him. We give it back to Him. We confess our sins. We begin clean again. Y'all, you are forgiven for every sin you have committed and every sin you will commit. And I will never tell you anything different, but I will tell you that the sins from the last time you confessed have built up and caused a wall and a division between you and God. No, you didn't lose your salvation, but you do not have the same type of relationship that you had yesterday because you've let sin come between you and God. This morning, you can take care of that, and you should take care of that before you come to the table. So I ask, unbeliever, will you respond to the gospel message? Believer, will you respond to Paul's call here in 1 Corinthians to cleanse yourself, to come to the table worthily. Believer, I shouldn't have to explain that to you. You should be able to figure that out on your own. I don't know your sins, I don't know what you've done, but you know your relationship with the Lord this morning and what you need to do. But unbeliever, let me take just a minute and explain to you what I mean by unbeliever. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I know that. You, you probably have a good understanding of him. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. You know who Jesus is. You've even read some of the stories about him. But what you don't have is a personal relationship with him, and you don't have that relationship with him because sin is still a problem in your life, because you have never repented of your sins. You think you're okay, and you've got a, you know, a, a handshake relationship with Jesus. I'm good. No, it doesn't work that way. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you might even agree with that. But you don't think your sins are a big deal. I'm here to tell you this morning your sins are a big deal. Romans, uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. See, sin is a big deal. And, and, and you just saying, well, I'm okay, does not make you okay. Only the blood of Jesus makes you okay. And the blood of Jesus is not on you just because it was shed. The blood of Jesus cleanses you when you accept the grace that's offered from Jesus Christ. So you can't just say, oh yeah, I believe. No, you accept that gift, that gift of eternal life, that gift of salvation, that gift of sin cleansing that takes the, away the sin problem. But you've got to do it. And you begin by admitting, you know, first step to recovery from anything is admitting you have a problem you have a sin problem and you need to admit that this morning turn away from that sin repent turn to the lord this eternal life god has proven his love for you romans 5 8 by dying or rather by sending his son to die for you while you were yet a sinner so whatever you've done god loves you and jesus died for you as a matter of fact Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It does not matter your past. It does not matter your sinfulness. It doesn't matter how heinous your sin. It does not matter what you've done or how many times have you've done it. Jesus loves you, and you can know salvation from your sins this morning. It won't be a switch that goes off, and suddenly you never sin again. If, if your issue is alcohol... It may not be the case, I've heard testimonies where it has been, but it may not be the case that you suddenly have no desire for alcohol anymore. I pray that that's the case, but I don't guarantee it. If your problem is your anger, your mouth, I don't guarantee that it's fixed in that moment. Pornography, 
I don't guarantee that it's fixed in that moment. Drugs, abusiveness, we can just go down the line. Sexual sin of some other kind, I do not promise that it will be taken away. I do promise that it will be forgiven. I do promise that you will then be given the Holy Spirit so that you can work to overcome those sins. You will be slowly sanctified as you seek God, as you seek his face, as you are discipled in a Bible-believing church. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And it is as simple as this, my friends. If you believe in your heart, that, uh, rather if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Repentance, belief, confession. A, B, C. It is that simple. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Confess him as Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time of remembrance, this time of celebration, but God, this time of testimony and witness to your son's sacrifice on the cross. Lord, I pray this morning for, for any lost person within the sound of my voice, that they will respond. Come to you in faith today, trusting the gift of your Son for their eternal life, forsaking their sinful lives and turning to you, trusting you then to, to take them through a process of sanctification, of being made more like you, being made more holy every day, falling on the grace that says... We are forgiven, even in the midst of our sinfulness. And Lord, for, for believers this morning that need to bring things to you at this altar, I pray that they would do that, that there would be none of us taking this, this table, this supper unworthily, but God, giving it all to you. I pray that you would move in this place this morning as we have this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is your decision? Maybe you are someone who needs to accept Christ. That's your decision today. Come and talk to me and tell me, look, I want to trust Jesus. We can, we can talk about that. We can do that this morning. Maybe you need to come as a believer to the altar and give some things to God. Maybe you need to pray there. Maybe you want to kneel there. I don't know, but you need to give some things to God. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to you know, guess here that most of us have sinned since the last time we took the Lord's Supper. Probably most of us have sinned since the last time we went to God in prayer. So you need to pray this morning, believer. Turn it over to him. Maybe there are other decisions that need to be made. You need to be baptized. You want to join our church. You just need to do some things at the altar, give some stuff to God, get some things right in your life. Whatever your decision is, I pray this morning you would come and do it. Let's stand. Donald's going to lead us. Let's sing. And in this time, you do business with God.